Hello Gator Nation and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for the Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators. On today's show, we will be joined by Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun to recap the weekend as the Gator basketball team won the Charleston Classic with a 70-65 win over Xavier. The Gators were able to bounce back from their loss to UConn and win three straight and now get some momentum back as their SEC schedule approaches. We'll also get Graham's thoughts on this Florida-Florida State rivalry and what it will take for the Gators to finish this season with 11 wins. Here was my conversation with Graham this week. We're now joined by Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun to talk some Florida hoops. We'll also discuss this UF-FSU rivalry at the end of our chat. Graham, welcome back into the podcast. Hope you had a great weekend and uh, saw these Gators go up to Charleston and get it done. Yeah, Zach, absolutely. It was kind of a, a, a dull week here in Gainesville, Florida. Had their third bye week, the football team did, and then the Gators had really their first real road test. First, they played at Connecticut, and as Florida fans know, that game didn't go so well. Kerry Blackshear got in early foul trouble. The Gators did try and rally from an eight-point deficit, but eventually fell to UConn. But mu- this week was much better. Florida went to Charleston for the Charleston Classic and emerged as the first SEC team to win the event. Uh, overall, a much-improved performance by the Florida Gators, Zach. If you watch the game, they were able to feed it inside, hit some outside shots, and play consistent defense while playing three games in just four nights. Now, before we get into the winning streak that they rolled off in Charleston, let's talk about that UConn game because there was a lot of people, I don't know if you want to call it overreaction, but that just reacted to the loss to Florida State. What was your reaction to the loss to UConn when you consider all the factors that they didn't have Blackshear with foul trouble in the first half, yet Florida still was able to have a really good second half, put themselves in position to win the game? What did you take away from that game, given all of Blackshear's issues? I certainly think it's a mixed bag. I think that overall, if you're a Florida fan, you can look at that whole thing. Blackshear only played five, what, five, five six minutes, minutes um, in that game, and Florida still had a chance to really tie it up at the buzzer. If you consider those circumstances and look at it from that view, I think that it that's pretty promising for the Gators, that they have the talent. Certainly, if they had lost their front court and had no... Uh, post threat at all in years past that that would have spelled doom for these Gators but they really had a shot didn't get a clean look at the buzzer Um, I think that more is what led to a lot of the overreactions that that lack of a clean look in the final seconds kind of settling for a two um, that is kind of an indictment I, I think in the eyes of many fans but I think that what you just said there it is kind of an overreaction Florida was playing their first road test they're adding nine new faces this is a team that isn't really used to playing through the post. They certainly weren't used to a road hostile environment. And I think that it it bears emphasis in mentioning that this Xavier team that they just beat on Sunday night just beat UConn the night before. So some quick redemption for the Gators. And you can certainly look back and, and say that through the transitive properties act that there's some promises there for that Gators team. But Overall, I think there's a lot of people that still would like a little more offensive progress from this these Gators if they are going to reach uh, the peak potential that a lot of people think that they can reach. Definitely. Now, going into this weekend, coming off those losses, did you think that the Gators had it in them to go and win this tournament? And and what what did you think about the way that they went out there and played and, and reeling off those three straight wins? I thought that if they could win the first game, 
uh, Florida would have a really good chance at at emerging victorious. You looked at the field. Uh, that game is so critical, that first game, because yep. it really determines uh, your out-of-conference strength of schedule. We've talked often about how good Florida's out-of-conference slate is. Um, you look at that matchup that Florida had there in that first game against St. Joseph's. That a really team that beat a, UConn. A team that beat UConn as well you, by double digits. Um, I think that you could say that a lot of things could have gone awry for the Gators in that first game. Um, Blackshear again got into early foul trouble. Uh, I don't certainly think that um, actually ended up getting ejected from that game. Yep. So um, I don't certainly think that... Uh, you know that is an indictment overall. Uh, but once Florida got past them, faced a Miami team that kind of struggled with Missouri State, only beat them by four points. Uh, once they got into that final game, I thought that they matched up really, really well with Xavier, and and you saw that on Sunday night. So Florida really kind of flipped the script. It could have gone really poorly for Florida, uh, but I think come March, come tournament time, if Florida needs that little bit of a boost that's based on strength of schedule, they might have got it this weekend, Zach. Now they get a win over Miami as well. The Gators enjoy now two victories over the Hurricanes in football and basketball. That had happened since 2008. What did you think about the performance of Keontae Johnson? He wins MVP, really carried this team, and I think showed as much as hype as we give some of the other guys, you still can't forget about number 11. Yeah, I think that a lot of people are noticing Keontae Johnson more just because his offensive game is starting to blossom. Yeah. He clearly is the most aggressive uh, driver of the basketball that this team has, and, and now he's becoming the most consistent at it. Uh, I think that that alone is making a lot of the general public take notice, but Keontae Johnson has really always been Florida's best, I think, defender when you speak strictly in, in terms of his ability to to rotate and switch and, and defend on, in all aspects. Um, and be, now he's becoming an elite team defender where he understands more so positioning and, and sure. where to be. Uh, he really kind of embrace that challenge to to be Florida's kind of four um, in this lineup, uh, even though he really is more so of a three, if not a, a combo shooting guard at the next level. Um, but it's clear that, that that is the key for Keontae Johnson is he has next level ability if he continues improving offensively at the rate that we've seen. You mentioned next level. A lot of people, I think, would expect that one or both of the five-star freshmen could see themselves at the next level after the season's over, depending on, on how they progress. You got to think that Andrew Nemhard, he was kind of back and forth as to what he was going to do last year. If he can have a good season, he might go. But Keontae Johnson is another guy that's going to probably put himself into this conversation. And I know you've always felt like he really has some pro potential in in terms of the ceiling that that's within his game. He just has a lot of things that are very desirable at the next level. He's just six foot five, uh, but his ability to shoot the eighteen to twenty foot jumper, as you're seeing, his jump shot is becoming much prettier than I think a lot of people anticipated anticipated it would be at this rate once he got to Florida. And his ability to, his motor, I think, is a huge thing that people underrate. His ability to play at both ends of the floor, give you 30 to 35 minutes a night, uh, score, shoot at the free throw line, uh, rebound offensively. Uh, you saw that game that he had. He had 20 and 12, or 22, a new career high, and 12 against uh, St. Joseph's. Yep. So certainly, you know, I think Keontae Johnson, as he as he keeps progressing, it won't be a, uh, if he'll play in the NBA, but how high will he go? I think if, if anything really limits him, you could say it, it would be his six foot five uh, frame. That that may be kind of a tweener for sure. an NBA small forward, but the guy has a 42-inch vertical. He's going to find a way 
to make an impact. And if he keeps improving at the rate that he has, I think a lot of people forget that he was the last one of the freshmen to crack Florida's starting lineup last year. So still has a little less experience on in terms of the collegiate level uh, compared to Noah Locke and Andrew Nemhard. He also didn't have the uh, Olympic experience that Andrew Nemhard has got. So a guy who still is, is developing right now and, and you're seeing what can happen if he puts it all together. Absolutely. You mentioned Nemhard and Locke. The three of them combined, the sophomores, had 43 points in, in that win over Xavier. I think specifically for Florida fans, a sight that they were happy to see was Locke finding it from beyond the arc. Uh, how critical is that that he's got it going now? And when those three are on their game, I mean, does that really need to be the nucleus of this team as much as you know we've made about Blackshear? They, they really need those sophomores to kind of be running the show as well. I think Florida's offense is still extremely reliant on the three-point shot. You know, they've added a lot of wrinkles in the last 50-plus games uh, dating back to last season and, and even so the end of the, the 2017 season, 2018 season. Uh, I, I think you can certainly say that Florida runs a few more Princeton sets. They now have a front court presence where they can dump it off and, and pass out of the post. Those are elements of Florida's offense that we haven't seen recently, but this this weekend was definitely evident that Florida needs to continue hitting outside shots uh, Noah Locke was just 5-for-22 heading into that UConn game, certainly was in a slump, and, and now he looks to have responded out of it. He hit two very clutch threes early on in that Xavier game. Yep. Trey Mann went down with a concussion. They didn't really get him for much of the Charleston Classic, but he's another really good three-point shooter for Florida. He started 2-for-12, and, and that's not really uh, indicative of how good of a three-point shooter he really can be moving forward. So I think anyone who, you know, we mentioned this earlier, uh, Anyone who really had a lot of offensive concerns about Florida's team, I, I think that they haven't seen the full potential of this team, and you are starting to see that. We haven't seen this team consistently hit three-point shots, have full strength with man back, Gorjak Gak, Dante Bazit, those guys are still getting back yeah. in the flow. And then you haven't seen Kerry Blackshear avoid foul trouble while all that happens. So we still haven't seen this team put it all together, and, and if they can do what they did on the road against Xavier, who was unbeaten prior to Sunday night's victory for Florida. If they can keep doing all that, this is a team that's clearly uh, possible could meet their potential come March, Zach. We mentioned some of the issues that, that Kerry Blackshear had in the UConn game and then the first game against St. Joseph's. He's able to get a double-double in the win over Xavier. How do you feel like he's progressing and trying to fit and find his role within this offense and this scheme? I think that he's doing a much better job of it. Uh, I, I think that you saw a little bit of frustration in that UConn game, uh, the swinging of the elbows, in especially against St. Joseph's, wasn't uh, very characteristic of him. He never was a guy, I think, who fouled out uh, at Virginia Tech. If he did, it was only once. Uh, that That's not very characteristic of him. The double-doubles that we saw to start the season, those first three that he had in Florida's games, I think are more, uh, you know, an indicator of what you're going to get yeah. on a nightly basis out of Kerry Blackshear Jr. But the other thing that I think he's starting to add to, if, you know, I'm not going to go out there and say that he's he's totally replaced um, Kavarius Hayes' uh, presence from last year, but in the locker room, Florida has kind of needed a, a leader in the front court because when you are adding that wrinkle to your offense, you need someone to step up and, and tell the guards that you are going to make the shot when they get the ball and make them feel confident passing to you. Mike White kind of talked about after Florida's loss to FSU how there's been some hero ball going on. Well, that can happen when you have so many two-way wings and guards that are used to having to go get their team a basket at the high school or AAU level. Yeah. That's clearly what this team has been made up of over the last two, three years. And Kerry Blackshear Jr. has to embrace that role of saying, guys, 
We need to score in the front court, and he needs to send a message to guys like Jason Jatobo and Omar Payne, two of Florida's freshmen in the front court, who are continuing to blossom, blossom as offensive players as well. So I think that if Florida can can get leadership out of Kerry Blackshear Jr., it'll translate to guys like Omar Payne and, and Jason Jatobo and Dante Bassett and Gorjot Gak taking a more vocal leadership role in sure. Florida's locker room, and that will translate to production on the court, which will make them deeper come tournament time. Final question for you about the personnel with this team. We learned over the weekend, at least I did, that Quez Glover was actually named after Jacquez Green because his parents were uh, big fans of the former Gators wide receiver, so that's where his name comes from. And we know despite being in Knoxville, he grew up a fan of UF, always wanted to play for the Gators. Now he's getting that opportunity and really played well against Xavier Kind of the guy that I think maybe was least talked about among this freshman class, as you would expect. What do you think about the way that he's been able to carve out a role for himself and show that he's he's capable of playing at this level? Yeah, I think his recruiting profile is very interesting. I think that there, if you watched him during his senior season in one-on-one matchups, it was clearly a guy who was unafraid and, and has a great eye for scoring, uses the glass extremely well, very, very quick. Yeah. Uh, he showed of, that against Xavier. Exactly. He's also bucking the current trend of this rise of point guards who have to be six foot three or taller. You're not going to succeed. Mike White had kind of sworn after Casey Hill and, and guys like Chris Chioza that he really would have to hesitate before taking a point guard smaller than six foot again. Quest Glover kind of changed everything for him. It's a polar uh, opposite of Andrew Nimmo. Absolutely. And and a guy who is a different personality than Mike Okaru, who who transferred to UNC Wilmington. Quez is a lot more, I think, assertive uh, and and doesn't hesitate, aggressive. I think you also haven't seen his three-point shooting ability. You'll see that a little bit later. We did see it against Xavier. We did start to see it against Xavier. He he was Chattanooga's, I think, you know, player of of the state or whatever it was coming out. um, And there's a whole lot of talent. Jason Jatobo played against him. Um, if you can keep getting, I think people are starting to realize that he is Florida's backup point guard. We kind of talked earlier in the in the season about maybe Trey Mann having some on-ball duties. He's kind of moved more towards a shooting guard with Scotty Lewis able to play that three. Florida's ability to have either Noah Locke or Mann out there or, or Nemhard or Glover out there with Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson gives them so much length that they can really yep. do all this defending and, and uh all the type of defensive stuff that Mike White likes doing. Our boy Nick Del Toro from Gator Country jumped on Twitter on Sunday and said, Mike White Hive, or fire Mike White Hive, where y'all at? Um, can you just speak to seemingly, I don't want to call it a roller coaster, but just the the ebbs and flows of emotions from the fan base in the first few weeks of the season with people so upset with the the first couple losses and now... I mean, how do you think that fans should feel coming off of this tournament win and them seemingly figuring out some answers to the questions that they had? I think that the whole hive aspect is very interesting because both sides ultimately want the same thing. They just disagree on whether Mike White is the man to do it. Uh, And that kind of leads to this whole two sides aspect. I think that both sides are kind of misinformed on on each other. I, I think that the fire Mike White hive uh, thinks that the people who defend Mike White are okay with some of the offensive flows and, uh, you know, whatever faults of the team you want to call it. Um, 
is the Mike White supporters, are they saying that he is absolutely flawless? I don't think that anyone is rationally saying that, and I don't think Mike White would go out Mike there White and say... Mike White would not say that about himself. He's very frank, and he was very uh, blunt about, after the FSU game, about how he had a horrible coaching and adjusting performance, and they had a bad game plan, and, and that's him kind of taking the fall for some of his assistance. I think that a lot of Florida fans, um, I don't think it's... a uncommon and, and I don't think it's unfair to say that a lot of the fire Mike White hive is you know they're big football fans and they like often um, making broad judgments based on one game about oh this this person is not a good coach well those people will also turn around and say oh Dan Mullen didn't you know coach a good game against Georgia but he's not a bad coach because he also coached a great game against LSU I think people don't look at it through that lens when it comes to basketball and they should Mike White has developed Florida into a top 25, if not top 15 defensive team consistently. Uh, You know, you like to rule out the Elite Eight because it wasn't with his players, but he still has brought this defensive culture. He's growing as an offensive coach. I think that there are certainly things that are left to be desired, but right now, uh, who else would you rather have right now? I think that Mike White has certainly earned a little bit more of a rope than he's been given uh, but he also knows that offensively this team needs to continue putting up these 75-80 point scoring performances uh, while also limiting teams to below 63 points, which is something that they've done in every game this season until that Xavier game when they, yeah. they let them hit 65. So Florida, I think that you know you talk defense and that's become, I think, more of an expectation rather than something to be... It, you know, it's taken for granted, I think, in terms of football and basketball, but really... I think that when you look at Mike White, that's the strength of him, and he's yeah. growing as an offensive coach. If he can get anywhere near uh, where he is defensively, offensively, he's going to be one of the best coaches in the nation. And this, I mean, and make no mistake, this team has not arrived yet. You know, I, I think for them to go and win the tournament is is an encouraging sign. I think it maybe makes the fans out there who have been very critical pump the brakes a little bit. But I mean, call it like it is. At the end of the Xavier game, they struggled to score and. They had a chance right there to win. So there's still improvement that needs to be made in tests that they have coming up against Marshall and Butler, and then you get into conference play. So still a long way to go for this group. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this Marshall game, before Florida has to hit the road and play Butler, is going to be another test. You know, you always talk about trap games. Uh, This may have the makings of one. Uh, Marshall is a very sound program. It's a 9 p.m. tip-off. Florida is it's after Thanksgiving. Yeah. You never really know what kind of distractions are going to be out there, especially with a very young team who's not used to being uh, away from home and away from family during Thanksgiving. I think that that's something that we can kind of forget about. Uh, but this is a team that, you know, if they can go out there and continue to, to have a strong offensive showing and continue improving and hitting shots, I think a lot of people are going to realize that this is a top 25 team. And, and if they can keep improving at this rate heading into SEC play, they are going to be a team to be reckoned with come March. Can't let you go before getting your thoughts on Florida FSU week. The rivalry is here. The end of the regular season. Crazy college football has just flown by like that. And uh, it's also crazy that it's been since 2009 that the Gators got a win over the Seminoles in the swamp. They'll try to uh, make that happen on Saturday. I think, obviously, no one expects a different result. But what do you make of... Where this rivalry is at, uh, thoughts on the game Saturday and and how Dan Mullen seemingly and the staff have kind of turned the tide 
Uh, whereas coming into this, FSU had a five-game winning streak. Yeah, first got to say that I've enjoyed the pace of this college football season a lot more. I think that three bye weeks should be mandatory for every team in terms of rest, but also when for you're... For media in, members, too. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. But also when you're in terms of... I mean, there have been several instances in the last few years where you or I have you know had to adjust our travel plans. The LSU game a few years back where Florida had oh, to go gosh. there in November. Uh, you know, We saw a stat that came out on social media a few days ago that said that Dan Mullen has a chance to be the only coach along with Urban Meyer and, and Steve Spurrier to win 10, 10 games in back to his first two seasons at, at Florida. Um, and, and a lot of people noted that Jim McElwain would have joined that company if it weren't for uh, the weather messing up one of their games um, in his second season. So certainly uh, I, I think that this pacing would allow you to always reschedule games if that does occur because we have seen – now with the college football playoff, it, it can absolutely have an effect on your season. So oh, yeah. I, I just definitely have to note that. But I, I think that you can't undersell the quick turnaround that Dan Mullen has brought about here in Gainesville. You look at how some of these coaching hires have gone around the country. Chip Kelly, Scott Frost, obviously Willie, Willie Taggart, Taggart yeah. that people have mentioned. Chad Morris. Um, yeah, you know, the, all of them have kind of, they were names thrown around by Florida fans and, and you know, certainly people who had their due diligence done by Florida's uh, athletic department. And it's clear, I think, that however you want to look at it, you know, you can certainly say that Florida has some questions that they'll have to answer in year three. But if you're comparing it strictly to teams that had to also undergo the same, uh, you know, overhauls, I think that Florida has clearly emerged as the best case scenario right now uh, to be out there. Do they have a lot of work to be done? Absolutely. Uh, Dan Mullen talked today about the recruiting trail and, and how tiring it's going to be trying to get those 15 practices in there while closing early during the early signing yeah. period. I think that Florida fans would, would kind of agree that recruiting has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit throughout the season. And, and that's kind of Dan Mullen's philosophy is to focus on the current guys in the program and, and make sure that you're making contact it, but then go full in once the season ends and, and starting on, on Sunday, that's, that's what his do. coaching staff is yeah. going to do. So We'll have a lot clearer picture of really the tr- the short term trajectory of Florida if they can sign a top ten recruiting class if they can close strong and possibly add some transfers here in the next six months because there is some work to be done but I think right now if you're a Florida fan you have to be really impressed with the twenty four games that you've seen out of Dan yeah. Mullen uh, back in Gainesville at the helm. Speaking specifically to the FSU rivalry, do you just chalk it up to coaching as to how it's turned so fast? to where it seemed like FSU was winning on the field, was winning on the recruiting trail, was winning convincingly in pretty much every game for those five years. And then just like that, it's turned. Like nobody expects the Seminoles to win on Saturday, obviously. Four to one big in Tallahassee. Do you just talk that up to coaching and how much of a difference Dan Mullen has made and how much struggles Willie Taggart had or is any more to it? No, it's it's all coaching in my opinion. I think that Florida State was recruiting – until Jimbo Fesher left at, at a much higher rate than Florida was. And now you've seen a lot of those same players not get developed and they get usurped in production by guys who were not as highly regarded on the recruiting trail. I think that's directly a result of coaching. And, and obviously there's a lot more to it than that. There's strength and conditioning, there's nutrition, there's the development aspect of it. But all in all, I think that people are seeing how much coaching matters. And, and I think that the big takeaway for that is there's a lot of people who see this as justification of why you should get rid of a coach when it's clear that they're not working out. You know, we always love to kind of indict people who say, oh, get rid of him. 
you know, it's it's only been a season, but it's clear he's not the answer. And we always kind of look at the NFL and see teams realize, oh, hey, you know, they're cutting someone after one season. Maybe they end up being a good coach. But I think cases like this, especially Willie Taggart and maybe even Manny Diaz in Miami turns out being like this, oh, you gosh. are seeing the absolute benefit of getting rid of a coach because you can have this kind of overnight transformation. I mean, Florida did go from a four-win team to a double-digit win team that is possibly going to, you know, play in a New Year's Six Bowl in back-to-back seasons. And a lot of, you know, people were forgetting that, you know, 24 months ago, they were being kind of the laughing stock of college football with Jim McElwain. So certainly, you know, Florida fans should be a little bit fearful of that happening at Florida State, them going out there and making the right hire and, and getting someone in there who can bring that back to Tallahassee. But I think that this is uh, definitely proof that when a coach is not working out, it is best to to go with a change, but you have to make sure it's the right one because there are huge, huge financial implications on the line. Florida's going to get $20 million if they end up playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, which would absolutely pay for Willie Taggart's buyout. So that gamble alone is one that I think programs are, are more inclined to make, knowing that the benefits are, are tenfold, and, yeah. and Florida's reaping those benefits right now, Zach. What did Jeremy Foley say? Whatever must be done inevitably must be done immediately or something along those lines. And I, I think that you see athletic directors across the country now operate with that in mind. So we'll see if Florida can get it done Saturday in the swamp against the Seminoles. That'll be... Get it done. 40-burger. Oh, that's right. According to Uncle Silk. <laughs> uh, 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 hey, that, that'd be wins over both of your in-state rivals in one season. I mean, that's not something that Gator Nation gets to enjoy. And uh, you got to win over Miami and Charleston. Not on the court against FSU, but we'll see if they can get it done on the football field Saturday. Graham, thanks as always for joining us and uh, dropping your knowledge. Hey, my pleasure, Zach. You do a great job as always. Y'all take care out there. With Roman, you can get a free evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Just go to GetRoman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. If you can't visit Roman right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On Sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Appreciate Graham for his time and perspective this week. On tomorrow's show, we'll hear what Florida coach Dan Mullen and some of the players had to say about the rivalry game this week with Florida State. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked On Gators, your team every day.